This is the Oanda Podcast. Brought to you by Jazz FM's Business Breakfast. You're listening to the Oanda Market Insights Podcast. Each week we preview and review all the business and market headlines with Oanda Senior Market Analyst Craig Earlham. And it's a very good morning to Craig. How are you doing? I'm really good, mate. How are you? Not bad at all. Uh, it's been an interesting week, but not quite as busy as last time around. Um, quieter on the Brexit front. We'll come to that, unfortunately, in a minute or two. But let's speak first about what's happening in the US. The Fed cut on Wednesday, quarter point, that was 100% nailed on, wasn't it? It was. Uh, for, for, for many people, it's more of a question of what they're going to do next. Uh, it, it seems like we're constantly second-guessing the Fed. Uh, the markets are making up their own minds on where they want interest rates to go, and the Fed kind of feels like it's following. I think the actual reality of this is that the Fed's just being reactionary. The difficulty that they have is that everyone wants them to offer forward guidance. Everyone wants them to give them forecasts that allows them to interpret when interest rates are going to fall, how far they're going to fall, etc., and the problem that the Fed has right now is the, the, the key thing that's going to determine how fast and how far interest rates are going to fall is the trade war. And the trade war has a lot of uncertainty. It has a lot of unknowns. We don't know how long it's going to last. We don't know how many more tariffs are going to be imposed. We don't know how deep they're going to be. Uh, and we don't know what the president's plans are. At, at this point, you, you even question, does the president know how uh, what his plans are in terms of these tariffs? And is he correctly anticipating what's going to come back uh, from China? There's going to be more talk at the start of next month, but it's, it, it's, it's anyone's guess how successful they are going to be. So the Fed seems to have uh, adopted uh, a, 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 an approach whereby they're going to be more reactionary. And the, the, another difficulty for the Fed is the fact that they're very split. One of the things that this vote did highlight was that was the split within the Fed about what the correct path for policy rates should be. Uh, there was around half a dozen who favoured a cut. There was around half a dozen who favoured who, who favored a bigger cut. Um, James Bullard actually dissented because he wanted a 50 basis points cut. There was two uh, members of the Fed who dissented because they wanted no cut at all. So great uh, uh, different views uh, across the board here. Uh, and therefore, the Fed has no real choice really but to be reactionary because how do you then give the markets what they want? What they did release was the dot plot. So this is where this is the, uh, the, the 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 chart which shows where different policymakers see interest rates uh, at the end of this year, next year, the year after, uh, and so on and so forth. And what became quite evident was that the average uh, interest rate for next year is unchanged. End of next year is unchanged from now. So basically, the Fed signalling that as things stand, they don't envisage another rate cut uh, this year or next. Whereas markets are pricing in at least one more this year. So there's clearly still a massive disparity. But again, if you are a reactionary Fed, then you're making this assumption based on the current scenario and the economy continuing to grow at a steady rate but of course if the trade war does continue on and in fact if it actually gets uh, if it actually becomes more of a deteriorating factor on the economy then your your expectations for interest rates are going to change so again that's it almost makes all the fed's forecasts null and void because you can't really follow them you're still making up your own assumptions based on the assessment of the economy and the trade war which is something that the fed's not entirely doing not forgetting, of course, that next year is an election year as well, and possibly President Trump will be putting the Fed under further pressure uh, to cut rates around about September, October, in time for the election November. I mean, he was already uh, putting uh, the Fed under pressure beforehand. And was he right about the fact that there were too many uh, hikes and, and too much too soon? Or, as you said, this is more of a reaction to the trade war between the United States and China. 
Yeah, so at the moment it almost looks like he was right, but you've got to ask yourself, why is he right? Because he is fully in control of this trade war. He is the one who continues to pile on more tariffs. He's the one that started it in the first place. So, yes, if you if you have, if you have undertake something that's going to have a detrimental impact on the economy, then the Fed is going to have to cut interest rates. But what he wanted, what he wants the Fed to cut interest rates aggressively and early on in this process to make his job a little bit easier, well, that's not their job. They shouldn't have, cut it, they shouldn't have raised interest rates at the final quarter of last year and I think that was the widely held opinion then but because he was attacking them so publicly I do feel like that was an act of defiance I feel like holding off as long as possible this year again was an act of defiance because they don't want to be seen to be getting being influenced by political forces and in particular the White House so it may look as though he's kind of right at this point but he is very much holding the cards for what's driving the economy lower as much as he wants to take responsibility for what is helping the economy grow uh, last year and continuing to outpace men much of the rest of the world and uh, and for the record low levels of unemployment he has to also he, he is also responsible for this trade war which is causing a slowdown in the economy which is triggering these recession flags which are popping up and, and forcing the fed to cut interest rates so it's not as straightforward as you're saying he said they should have cut interest rates earlier this year and therefore he is correct now he, he's he wasn't correct earlier this year but now it does seem more appropriate and even that i think is debatable all eyes will be on next week's figures though won't they with the the latest gdp and inflation to come out of the united states what are markets expecting yeah, I mean, we're expecting still weaker figures for the second quarter. We've got to remember that this is a revised figure, so it doesn't tend to get quite the same attention as the earlier figures. So we've already had the earlier readings, so we're not expecting a revision there. So again, this this gives us an image of an economy that's growing around 2.5% across the course of this year, which, again, it's not a bad level of growth. It's it's below the 3-4% that he wanted to achieve and that he did achieve last year, but it's not a terrible level of growth. Um, and then we've also got inflation data again. Now, the inflation in the US has been a little bit weaker, but a couple of weeks ago we had the CPI figure, which actually exceeded market expectations uh, and was above target. So we could see a little bit of an uptick here in the PCE. It's probably still going to remain below target, but again, that's going to be seen by many as an incentivization for the Fed to keep cutting interest rates because uh, they are below target. And, and with, when you've got a Fed right now that continues to claim it's so data dependent um, these figures become increasingly important but then again markets are making up their mind regardless so it's, I think the next month or two is going to be really interesting from a market and Fed standpoint to see how we position for, for, for the end of the year uh, the, the, there is still potential for one more rate cut this year they may hold off until uh, December although some are suggesting they could just keep cutting rates at every meeting for between now and the end of the year. There was talk of repercussions uh, following the strike on those Saudi oil fields. We're not even sure what the strike was from, whether it was from drones or missiles. You're getting different bits of information at the moment. But it would seem that things actually weren't quite as bad as we suggested at first, and hence the price of oil has actually dropped over the last few days. Yes, yeah, so on Monday morning, the uh, oil rose, Brent, Brent crude rose by around 20%. The initial biggest ever rise for many, many years, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, and it was the, well, this is, as it turns out, the biggest supply disruption on record. Um, yeah. So, this is, there's around 5.7 million barrels a day which were affected uh, by this. This is around half of Saudi output, just over half of Saudi output. It represents around just over, over 5% of global daily output. So, it is a significant uh, amount of oil which was knocked offline as a result uh, of these attacks. Um, and oil naturally rose because they feared the worst. When you fear the worst, you get these big knee jerk reactions. Reactions. We did start to see it pull off um, 
not long after the open it fell from around 20% up to around 13% up at the end of the day so we'd already start to see that pair of those gains um, and now it's around 5% up from Friday and the reason for that is because uh, not only uh, is it not as bad as feared but also Saudi quick, Saudi Arabia quickly got half of these back online uh, pretty much by the end of the following day. And they said the other half would be back online by the end of this month, which was much better than what people were fearing. The reason why we're still therefore trading more than 5% up from Friday's, uh, from Friday's closing levels is quite simple. It's the risk factor, the risk of retaliation, the risk of a, of a full-blown conflict, the risk to these facilities because... There's clearly a vulnerability at these facilities when 10 drones or 10 whatever uh, can uh, infiltrate these facilities and knock 5.7 million barrels of oil offline uh, that easily. And I'm not saying it's easy for anyone to do, but it's clearly been easy enough for someone to do. And obviously the finger of blame has been pointed at Iran. So this vulnerability brings with it a risk factor and that risk premium is now being factored into oil markets. If it was Iran, still an if at the moment, uh, this was part of potentially a plan to bring some of these uh, sides together again uh, and discuss uh, the nuclear deal and actually put more pressure on Donald Trump and the United States because um, oil is the one thing that the Iranians might have over this situation. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to see a situation like this actually bringing people together for talks. If anything, it's broken down any possibility of these talks uh, taking place. It seemed that when John Bolton resigned last week, People were looking at this as a sign because there was disagreements between the two that maybe Trump wanted a deal and Bolton wasn't interested in a deal. Well, this won't obviously help that matter if it is shown that Iran was actually responsible for the attacks. So what would be behind the the strike if it was Iran? Well, we've still seen a lot of hawkish rhetoric um, from from the side of the US. There's still no deal. They're still putting maximum pressure on on, on the Iranian economy and the economy is suffering as a result. Uh, and we've also seen this back and forth tit for tat uh, really for the last few months. We've seen um, Saudi ships targeted. We've seen vessels which have been hijacked. Um, and we've seen drones shot down, unmanned drones. But until now, everything seems quite small. It's just a, a warning shot, uh, as it were. There's been no lives lost or anything like that. There's been no severe consequences. So this was seen as a dramatic escalation of that if Iran obviously is responsible. The good thing is, uh, it's now Thursday. We haven't seen a retaliation uh, so which means that there is going there is a more considered uh, approach being taken uh, by the US Saudi Arabia and potentially others obviously we all saw the tweets from Trump we all followed Trump's Twitter account and this idea that he was locked and loaded uh, this fighting talk um, that passed um, we kind of expect these this hot these hot-headed responses from the president um, and so far there's actually not been a retaliation that's a positive thing but I'm not particularly confident that there isn't going to be one. And the more of a retaliation we see, the more we see this escalation, um, then the more of a risk premium we are going to start to see factored in. Anyway, with oil falling in price, there's no danger that it's going to dent and cause a problem for future inflation figures. And as as you said before, inflation's a bit under target at the moment. So it'd be be interesting to see uh, whether oil just resumes at the price it was um, this time last week. Yeah, I mean, I think the longer we go without a retaliation, the longer we go without an escalation, the more we will start to see oil fall, fall back towards those levels. But you wonder how much of a risk premium has to remain because of the vulnerability yeah. of these sites and the potential, therefore, for further disruptions that maybe have more, more longer-lasting effects. I imagine the Saudis are very much very much looking at this, these facilities at this moment in time, saying, how did these uh, attacks yeah. happen? How were these vulnerabilities? Uh, how did these vul- vul- vulnerabilities go undetected? And what can we do in future to ensure that 
that this cannot happen and I'm sure they're working with the US in order to uh, find measures to prevent that happening in future um, but at this moment in time until we get assurances that this can't happen again these, this kind of risk premium is going to remain um, thankfully it's not going to have a great impact on uh, oil prices at the pump it's not going to have a great impact therefore on inflation data even if we did see a big spike in these oil prices and it did have a temporary effect on inflation I think central banks would broadly look through it because the last thing consumers need when they're paying more than at the pump is higher interest rates on top of that it's not really um, it's not really having the desired effect that rising, raising interest rates normally would um, it's causing more economic instability than stability so yeah I mean I th- I, we can hope that this will pass but I wouldn't bank on it i i wouldn't i wouldn't be particularly confident that this is just going to fade out talking of inflation data what about in the uk we had this number of 1.7 percent below expectations now we're talking ahead of the bank of england's announcement at uh, midday uh, we are definitely not expecting uh, a rise in interest rates but it's uh, interesting to see what this inflation figure has done in terms of sterling and also where we're going in terms of the future, uh, possibly interest rates could be cut further. Yeah, I mean, it didn't have too great an impact on the pound. I think the pound's just fully obsessed with Brexit right now. And same as the Bank of England, you say that we're, we're recording this just over an hour before the Bank of England decision. We're not expecting anything from them. Though this statement may they may change a few words. They may not even bother doing that. Um, why act now, six weeks before a potential no deal Brexit? Let's wait and see what happens there and then use the, all the artillery you have, which isn't actually very much to try and um, offset some of the negative impacts of a no deal Brexit in the worst case scenario. So that I don't think the Bank of England is going to do anything today. It's highly unexpected. It would be a, a huge, huge shock if they did undertake anything. Um, and I don't think this inflation data really changed it for two reasons. One, I don't think what happens post 31st of October is going to be massively influenced by one piece of inflation data. This could bounce back. This was a big drop from where we were at before, which typically suggests there's one-off factors influencing it. In this case, video games look, apparently. Video games apparently very volatile yeah. um, uh, in terms of prices, and video games was one of the biggest draws on this inflation data. Um, So, yeah, that came as a surprise to me. The other thing as well was... um late summer sales uh, last yeah. year we had strong summer sales late on in the season this year they've had to discount a little bit more that's pro- may have more fundamental uh, knock-on effect uh, it says a lot about consumer spending for example but um, I-, I wouldn't surprise me if we see that inflation number bounce back a little bit at least uh, next month and therefore you can kind of look through these one-off figures as you said uh, the pound more affected by the latest uh, brexit shenanigans than the inflation figures uh, these days uh, we've reached a, a weird impasse in Brexit, we've got uh, what is it? Six, seven weeks to go before the October the thirty-first deadline. Um, we've had Boris Johnson in Europe, and that hasn't gone particularly well. There are apparently dis- discussions going on between Ireland and the UK, although they're sort of informal discussions. It's possible that they could come up with another arrangement uh, in terms of the, the Irish uh, Northern Ireland problem on the border, etc. Um, where are we at at the moment? It's really difficult to know because at the end of the day, Boris Johnson is refusing to release details, detailed plans uh, for uh, ways to get around the Northern Irish border problem. And, and until you see them, it's really hard to judge exactly where these negotiations stand and what's holding them up. It seems to me, based on everything we've heard, that there probably are areas where some of these uh, ideas can work and they're the areas that the EU is interested in. The problem is that doesn't negate the need for a hard border because there's other areas where the technology doesn't exist or where um, the ideas may fall a little bit foul of detail. Um, 
Boris Johnson seems to be saving the detail for late in the day. I think he is very much a firm believer in deadlines and deadlines make decisions happen and uh, far away deadlines just create time for people to change their mind and waffle and uh, and negotiate unnecessarily. And I think that's why he's so determined to keep to the 31st of October deadline. He's going to probably go to Europe with, with these plans and say, look, take this or no deal. Um, and he's hoping that will work. I'm not entirely convinced it will work. I'm sure there's still a few curveballs to come. I'm sure there's still... Um, there's, there's still a long way to go with these negotiations. I don't really think this week has actually changed that much. We've still waiting to hear the Supreme Court ruling. I'm not even sure what kind of a, what, what what's that going to do um, at this late stage. The Parliament is prorogued. Um, are, are it, it's the strange thing about the proroguing of Parliament because you know, okay, so supposing they did go back uh, and Parliament reopened again, what difference would it make? It'd just be more talk, wouldn't it? Exactly, and we're, we're entering party season soon, yeah. like the, 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 these party meetings, so are parliamentarians even going to be back in Parliament? Are, are they going to are they going to take extraordinary measures to get back? And if so, what are they going to do? What are they actually going to achieve by going back? They've passed a bill to tie his hands uh, and to force him to request no deal, or at least they think they have. So what else is there to be achieved by returning to Parliament at this point? Um, I mean, it, I've heard enough, to be honest. Exactly. I think, I think we all have, to be honest. I think we now just want to see something change. And I'm not sure that's going to happen in our parliament uh, at this moment in time until another deal has come Parliament's way. Like I say, I think there's plenty more surprises to come. I'm sure there's going to be plenty more talking points, just that this week hasn't really provided it. I'm not sure the Supreme Court ruling is going to do any more than that. And um, uh, next week may even be uh, pretty quiet on this front also. But let's face it, famous last words. And finally to next week, we've already discussed uh, the uh, GDP and the inflation figures in the United States. Anything else that we should look out for? It's pretty quiet week. We've got the RBNZ meeting. Um, there's suggestions that the weaker growth figures today may, um, this week may have may encourage the RBNZ to cut interest rates again, but they cut interest rates by 50 basis points. They exceeded market expectations last month, so there's no guarantee of that, really. It wouldn't surprise me if they just hold off again um, and just wait and see how these things pan out. But apart from that, it's a very, very quiet week next week, so hopefully we can all get some rest after what has been quite the opposite this week. We just had summer holidays. Don't know what you're complaining about. You had summer holidays. <laughs> I was in here recording with your colleague, who was very, very, very good. Thanks, thanks very much for that. <laughs> Have a very good week. From the team behind Jazz FM's Business Breakfast, a daily early morning 30-minute briefing for the day ahead. On air from 6am. Listen to Jazz FM on DAB, online or just ask Alexa.